0: Hey, Bill O'Reilly here. Welcome to the No Spin News for Monday, August 16th, 2021. Stand up for your country. So if I were in Kabul tonight, I couldn't say that because there isn't any country anymore. It's a a Taliban terrorist sanctuary. And we're going to have the best coverage in the world tonight. And I say that because uh, I have a couple of guests who are... um, you are gonna be riveted by what they have to say. And I talked to President Trump about this uh, myself, and we have all kinds of new stuff. So keep it here and you will get the true picture. So the first thing is that uh, Joe Biden comes back from Camp David and he gives a speech today blaming everybody else but himself. Okay, now, as Mr. Biden would say, that's malarkey. I, I don't have time for that tonight. I'll I'll deal with it on some level tomorrow, but I really don't have time for uh, excuse making from the president of the United States. He blew it. It's on his watch and we'll prove it beyond any reasonable doubt. So we will begin with um, the utter incompetence of the White House. Do you know that the chief White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, is on vacation. Now, maybe she could have come back for something like this, one of the worst American foreign policy debacles in history. Maybe Jen could have said, you know, I- I'm going to go back for a couple of days. No, no. Uh, even Biden had to be cajoled, I understand, to uh, give a uh, address today. So this proves that President Biden is diminished. I've said that now for a while. I don't know. I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to speculate about any physical condition. I'm going to tell you the man's diminished. He doesn't really understand what's happening. And if you combine the border, which is a total collapse, and we have an interesting soundbite coming up on that, With Afghanistan, do you really need to know any more for that statement to be challenged? Is there anybody going to challenge my statement that Joe Biden's a diminished human being? I don't think so. But if you do, Bill at BillO'Reilly.com, send it along. So we have two catastrophes plus inflation plus gas prices and OPEC. I mean, that's insane yeah, we'll stop all our gas production here on federal land, but we'll uh, threaten OPEC to pick it up over there or else. That makes sense to you? To anyone? And then food's way up. You, you got the litany, but let's stay on Afghanistan. Um, so let me give you the facts of the place first. That's where we're going to start. 38 million people, most of whom live in tribes, They've lived there for hundreds of years in their area. It's unsophisticated, um, low life expectancy. Some places don't have electricity. It's tribe. They don't, many Afghans, have any allegiance to Kabul. Most of them haven't been there. They don't know who these people are because many Afghans can't read or write. Perhaps half the country is illiterate. There's no cable news. So they, they live in their tribes like they've always lived. All right? The big cash crop is opium. That leads to heroin, as you know. U.S. couldn't stop it because the Afghan people make their living on opium and other crops, but that's the big cash crop. Now, they don't know the Declaration of Independence from some babbling brook in the middle of their village. They don't know any of this freedom business, because most of them subscribe to a very primitive form of Islam, where women are, you do what you told and you cover it up. And if you don't, we're going to hurt you physically. All right, that's the society. Now, we invaded Afghanistan, the United States and NATO forces on October 7, 2001. And President Bush did that because The 9-11 attack came out of Afghanistan. That's where Osama bin Laden was based. That's where the plot was hatched. And 9-11 was such an outrage that President Bush was compelled, mandated, to track down the miscreants, which were al-Qaeda bin Laden and Taliban, who were protecting bin Laden. That's why we went there in the first place. You had to do it. You had to do it and we were victorious. We chased the Taliban all over the country. Most of them went to Pakistan, our so-called ally, which is the biggest joke in the world. And the Taliban government fell, replaced by mean Karzai. Remember him? Okay. American puppet. American told him what to do. They started to form some kind of democracy. Oh, yeah. So in the face of this, the United States decided to rebuild Afghanistan into a sophisticated modern state. We failed. Because nobody could do it. Not just our failure. Maybe God could come out and do it. But nobody, no human being could do it because of the society and the geography of the place. Again, the power is in the local precinct. With the warlords, they control it. No central government will ever control it. Russia found that out. Soviet Union, I should say. So we decided the nation bill. Now, the cost of that has been between one and two trillion American taxpayer dollars. Can you believe that? Okay, now I know there's nothing to Joe Biden, but it's something to me. One and two trillion in Afghanistan. But far worse are 2,300 dead U.S. military personnel and 21,000-plus wounded. And we'll talk to one of those wounded vets coming up. That's far worse than the money. Now, under Bush, 564 American military were killed. Under Obama, 1,729. Remember, Obama surged Afghanistan to try to knock out the Taliban once and for all, he failed. Under Trump, 63 in four years U.S. personnel were killed. And I'll, and I'll get tell you why in a moment, okay? Under Biden, nobody's been killed. Now, U.S. forces are protecting the airport now. You see these horrendous pictures. Let's roll them on in. Uh, thousands of Afghans know they're going to be beheaded or, or whatever, when the Taliban takes over and they run to the airport, which is controlled by U.S. forces, and some of them are grabbing planes and dying. And I mean, this is very similar to Saigon in Vietnam. It's not the same situation. All right. The South Vietnamese held out for two years. The Afghan government held out for two minutes. OK, so a little bit different, but it's the same human catastrophe. All right. These people surging into the airport, trying to get the hell out of there. Now, the U.S. military has, has um, circled the airport and has control of it now. And a lot of flights are going to go in and out, taking refugees out of the country, because, as I said, Taliban is going to execute thousands of people. All right. And women, forget it. You're an Afghan woman. It's over. All right. This is now remember. Joe Biden watching all this. Okay, so uh, all the stats I gave you and all the information I gave you comes from the Department of Defense itself, just so you know the source of the information. Okay, so what happened under Obama was that he thought he could neutralize the bad guys, and it didn't work. Trump came in and said, "You know what? We're getting out." And he campaigned on that. Now, Donald Trump comes at this from a business point of view. Why are we spending a trillion, two trillion there when this country is never going to be able to help America ever? Why are we doing that? And you can make a theoretical argument, while well, we're protecting the world against uh, al-Qaeda and ISIS and all that. But it basically says no, we're going to get out. But what Trump did, and I'll tell you about my uh, conversation with him in a, mo- in a moment, What Trump is he made it quite clear to the enemy, the Taliban, what would happen if they violated the Trump deal, which I'll get to in a moment. By the way, the Afghan president, Ghani, fled to Tashkent, we understand, um, Uzbekistan. Well, he got out real fast. And he got out with a lot of money, I understand, but I don't know if that's true. I can't confirm that. Okay, so the Trump administration began negotiating with the Taliban on September 12, 2020, about a year ago. And the negotiations were held in Qatar, which is an Arab country in the Persian Gulf. Very wealthy. Now, no representatives from Kabul, from the Afghan government, were in those negotiations. That was an enormous mistake. Enormous mistake by the Trump administration because it sent a signal to the Afghan people like, these people in Kabul, they don't really matter. They're not even in on a negotiation, and the Taliban got that message, too. Okay, so let's get to my my conversation with Trump, then we'll run in a few sound bites. So I get a call on Thursday night from the former president, and he wants to talk about Afghanistan because he knows that I know the country, because I visited the country along with uh, Colonel Hunt and some of our Factor personnel in 2007. But he knows I know what's happening there. And the first thing he said to me is, this would not have happened had I still been president. And I said, well, how can you prove that? And he said, because I talked to the Taliban leadership in person. You may remember, it's a big controversy because Trump invited those people to Camp David for an eye to eye. But it never happened. He says, I talked to them and I told them we're going to pull out, the U.S. is going to pull out. But if you don't participate in a coalition government, if you try to take the country by force, we're not only going to come back, we're going to kill you and everybody you know. He told that to the Taliban leaders. How do you do that? Drones. That's how you do it. So Donald Trump, and I believe him, said to these guys, mano a mano. You don't participate in a coalition government. You attack Americans, do anything. Okay, then we're coming back and we're going to get you personally. So it stopped. Well, Trump left office and Biden came into office. It stopped because the Taliban believed Trump. They don't believe Biden. It's obvious. Now, unintended consequences all day long. And this is what Biden will never understand because it's too much for him to absorb. Number one, more than a thousand ISIS criminals in prison in Afghanistan have been released. Where do you think those people are going? Where do you think they're going? They're coming right after us. Okay. Number two, billions of dollars of American ordnance now in the hands of the Taliban. Captured American weapons, ammunition. Trucks, tanks, you name it, they got them. Biden didn't protect them. Okay? Three, the human rights thing is just off the chart. Where's Me Too? Where, where's Time's Up? You hear anything from them? <laughs> I mean, the women are going to get just hammered. And no woman in Afghanistan will escape it. Not One. And Kabul had built schools for women, for girls, to educate them, to get them involved in what was supposed to be a growing middle class. God. Biden know that? Okay. So you have a situation that is a disaster. You can't spin it. Biden tried today. It was a joke. And again, I'll deal with that tomorrow because I want to see the reaction to his spin. Now, let me give you the reaction to Biden before this collapse. So we'll start with him. And this was said July 8th, 2021. Roll it. Is the
1: Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No,
0: it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Do you trust the Taliban? sir? You, is that a serious question? absolutely a serious question. It's a, it's a silly question. Do I trust the Taliban? No. All right, so why didn't you leave a residual force as I suggested of 3,000 people, military personnel in, Agra, in Bagram? You don't trust them, why didn't you leave the 3,000? which would have bolstered the Afghan army, which, of course, deserted because they go, yeah, the Taliban's going to win. That's why. Now, even the left, right? even the, the we love Joe Biden. And by the way, if you're watching me now and you voted for Joe Biden, you happy? You happy with him after seven months? All right, here's uh, Tapper, who's a despicable human being. Go. That is, of course, a sharp turnaround from six weeks ago when President Biden called it highly unlikely that the Taliban would overrun the country, an assessment that even at the time struck many experts in Biden's own administration as unrealistic. And now, as American diplomats rush to shred embassy documents and escape, it seems shocking that President Biden could have been so wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Jake's shocked. He's shocked. I guess Jake's missing what happened in the border. He's missing that kind of missing uh, gas prices up a buck and a quarter for everybody, uh, oh, it's shocking, how can he miss it? Martha Raditz, she knows what she's talking about, all right, she works for ABC, but an ardent, ardent liberal. Roll it. But I can tell you of the failures, John, that are so obvious at this point, the training mission of those Afghan forces, $83 billion worth, clearly failed. The negotiations with the Taliban clearly failed. And you also had a really massive intelligence failure here that the U.S. did not realize how quickly the Taliban could take over. And we have been there for 20 years. We know the Taliban. We have people on the ground. And yet you the U.S. was caught unaware and completely off guard. That's not true. All right. There were many people inside the Pentagon. I told Biden and the secretary of state, who's a total idiot, Anthony Blinken. Nobody even knows who he is. Uh, I'll give a soundbite from him in a minute. They told him, you can't pull everybody out. You got to keep a residual force, of special forces and people to maintain the air force, the Afghan flying a plane. And, and Raddus goes, oh, completely off guard. That's a a lie. Now, does she know it's a lie? She should. All right, let's get to Blinken. Now, this is probably the worst secretary of state since, I don't know, John Calhoun. I mean, this guy, roll it. So I think there there, there are two things that are important here. First, I come back to this proposition that uh, in terms of what we set out to do in Afghanistan, the reason we were there in the first place to deal with those who attacked us on 9-11, we succeeded In doing that and that message I think uh, should ring out very strongly Uh, it's also true that there's nothing that our strategic competitors around the world would like more than to see us bogged down in Afghanistan for another 5 10 or 20 years that is not in the national interest you are an idiot keeping 3,000 troops there is not bogged down so now we're right back where we were 20 years ago with all of the death Destruction and expenditure right back where we were. In fact, it's worse because the Taliban have all the captured U.S. equipment. And Blinken, we don't want to get bogged down. You know, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep my composure here. But this is the worst administration in my lifetime. By far. And it's only seven months. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Okay. So as I mentioned, I went to Afghanistan. Let's put some uh, stills up there in 2007. And uh, one of the reasons I went there was a morale boost to the U.S. troops. Uh, there's Colonel Hunt with me. Um, and we got a good look around. And we uh, talked to a lot of special forces and a lot of people who had been what they call up country in the mountain regions. Um, we interviewed DeBras over there. And at the time we were there, it was fairly stable. And this, again, is in 2007, six years after the initial invasion. All right, the uh, Afghan society was uh, veering toward a civility, and the U.S. seemed to have a grip on the country. All right, so joining us now from Maine is Colonel David Hunt. You uh, may remember him. Uh, Put him on the screen, please. Uh, He was a factor regular when I worked at Fox News. He was my bodyguard in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's a decorated uh, army guy and fought in Vietnam and other places. And he is not too happy today. Is that correct, Colonel?
1: That's a bad day, Bill.
0: Tell us why. It's
1: it's made worse what we we were witnessing because of what happened in Saigon uh, 50 years ago. It's it's a similar collapse because of lack of planning and and execution. We uh, we knew months uh, weeks ago, and certainly about ninety days ago, how poor the Afghan military was going to react because of the fall of Kandahar and other places. The reason for that fall, reason for they g- giving up, you've already commented on, and the Afghan government stopped supplying their own army. No water, no food, no bullets, no no logistics. Uh, the other piece you've already covered, which is. Kabul never, ever controlled or influenced the majority of Afghanistan. We made a terrible mistake 20 years ago in trying to develop that. It's not like we didn't know how bad the Afghan government was. This was not an intel failure this week. It was not a military failure. The the Department of Defense and the national national intelligence community has briefed the White House and the president on every aspect of how quickly this was going down. We waited way too long to pull Americans out and the Afghans that we owe um, allegiance to and help. And so now we've got the Taliban in total control of the country. They have we we do have soldiers at the airport, but we're coordinating with the Taliban. It's
0: well, we made a deal, we made a deal with them that they aren't gonna go into the airport and they'll let these people get out. But look, um, under Trump, you had the same situation that you had under Biden. Nothing changed. All right. Four years, Trump wanted to get out. He did the negotiations. I, te- I clearly stated he made a mistake by not including Kabul. I don't know what that good, that would have done, but it sent a message. But when Biden comes in and he says, as you clearly heard, Hey, don't worry about it. They got 300,000 guys. Well armed, Taliban got 75,000. There's no way this country's going to fall. You, as a military veteran, when you hear the commander in chief say that, what do you say? Somebody's lying. And it, 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 the Department of Defense,
1: uh, anybody who served there um, will talk about how good the units they served with in Afghanistan when they were there, the, the special forces guys in particular. But once we left, we pulled back. Um, and try to let them do on their own, it failed. It clearly failed for the last 90 days. Um, Taliban moved fast. We knew they were going to move fast because there was nothing to stop them. We want to evacuate the embassy, which we should have. It should have been a minimum 30 days ago, not two days ago. Okay, let me
0: me stop you there. So you said he's lying. But Biden had to know, or his people blink in the Pentagon. Hey, if we... Pull out so fast, don't leave the residual force. This place is gonna go up very quickly. So I think that Biden is surprised that this happened. I don't know if he's lying. I mean, I don't think I don't think he's capable of that kind of military analysis. He's not capable of of anything, in my opinion, right now. He can't do anything. But, but he's been it, he's it being would be brief. It would what? He's being briefed. They yeah, look- he's being briefed. But why yeah. would he? Why would he lie in July if the thing's going to topple in a week? I mean, he—he he, look how bad he looks now. Even the most ardent Biden supporters—I mean, you look like a clown if you're defending him. Do you not? Yeah. We ca- the, the reason I'm
1: talking about lying is that the Department of Defense and the intelligence community, daily basis, have put the maps up and talk about where the Taliban are, how bad the Afghan military was performing. And then he goes goes on television and said, no, the the 300,000 soldiers versus 75. The problem, 75,000, the problem is those for 20 years, those soldiers did not fight well. Same with Iraq. We had a similar situation in Iraq as as we did in Saigon, when ISIS came across the border and 60,000 Iraqis. Ran
0: off the battlefield. Okay, but, but well, let me stop you again. But we have U.S. troops in Iraq now. They went back after the Obama catastrophe that allowed ISIS to take over half the country and move into Syria as well. I was a caliphate. Once that happened, and Obama did it with Biden sitting right next to him, they saw it, then we surged in with U.S. troops and stabilized the country. So what I'm saying and feel free to disagree, is if you left 3,000 special forces in Bagram, this Taliban march wouldn't have happened, at least not that easily. The, it would take,
1: the idea of, my idea has always been to leave a kind of terrorism force. You wouldn't leave 3,000 special forces guarding an airport. You'd take a Marine or an army division. The problem is the Kabul is a very big place, as you remember. And if, if we were gonna affect the fall of Kabul, it would take a lot more than 3,000. You can protect the airport, but you're not gonna protect the city. All right, but but or- we're
0: talking air power. We're talking maintenance of planes. We're talking confidence of the uh, Afghan people. You know, they see the Americans are still here. All of that. Last word on it, Colonel. We really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Yeah, it's just an embarrassing moment. As you, In my lifetime, I've never say, seen this. I've seen it twice not the reason this is worse because we had saigon we should have learned this was a presidential decision in which he was fully briefed on the facts and had recommendations on what to do and didn't follow it only the president could have made this decision he he made a very very poor one and we're going to pay for this for a while
0: all right colonel we really appreciate it you're welcome okay let's turn to the personal side i want to tell you a story about a guy that we know um, through the independencefund.org, um, and we try to help that charity, which helps the severely wounded veterans. Now, his name is Corporal Kevin Brewington. Uh, he lives on Fripp Island, South Carolina, and he was in Afghanistan um, on patrol on September 22, 2011, four years after I was there. He stepped on a mine He lost both his legs and uh, his right arm was severely damaged as well. So through his bravery and uh, absolute phenomenal persistence and courage, uh, Kevin uh, has resumed his life here. He's married two daughters and a dog, uh, but his sacrifice in Afghanistan is almost indescribable. So he joins us now from South Carolina. So, Corporal, what are you feeling today about all this chaos that we're watching?
2: I think it's a bag of a mix of emotions. Uh, well, first off, thank y'all for having me and the Independence Fund for um, sending my name up to up the chain. But yeah, I think it's a bag, you know, a mix of emotions for everybody um, involved. It's over a 20-year period. You know, what was our what was our purpose there? You know, for me, our mission overall was to get Osama bin Laden, and you know, we're 10 years. Going on eleven years now from having that mission accomplished, so you know you move from that, and nobody really knows a big a bigger plan to what our veterans are doing and losing losing brothers and sisters over there, and it's changing lives regardless if you like me step on an IED and change your life on that that side, or war changes everybody. You go over there and it changes the mindset of you. So I think it's just a failure of uh, of the administration. Executing a plan, coming up with a plan. I know I'm kind of disappointed in the military brass uh, that's in Washington. That would you, you would think would have a better exfil plan. Besides just leaving in the, in the under the cloak of darkness, uh, leaving the Afghans kind of hanging a little bit. And you know, as a guy with boots on the ground, you're taught never to do, you know, never to do something like that.
0: When you were over there, did you um, see? The good that the US military was doing, or was it just a survival mode?
2: Um when we first went um the couple months we was at a place that was more of a very friendly rural area, that, that picture right there. That place there was a very rural area, just you know, kind of calm. And then a few months in we moved down to the Panjaway district, which is the birthplace of the Taliban, and things really ramped up. And that place I would put in, you know, the ladder of you know, survival of the fittest, so to speak, because they would run, run across the Pakistani border, uh, put bombs out on you, have, you know, ambushes. So it was a lot more amped up and a lot of guys got injured on that side.
0: Okay. Did the uh, people you served with, Mm -hmm. did they support the U.S. presence in Afghanistan back when you were in the field under fire?
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting thing because in the military, you you hardly ever even talk politics. You know, you're there to do a job. Everybody's got a brotherhood. Everybody's looking out for one another. Let's, let's stay alive. Who cares about the politics? Um, we're gonna do what we gotta do to survive. But we that, that was never brought up. I mean, I couldn't okay. tell you what the guy left or right was. You know, now, I,
0: I know now there's a lot of internet chatter uh, among wounded vets, particularly. And again, um, Kevin has been helped by independencefund.org. We uh, urge everybody to uh, support that charity. But there's a lot of chatter going on, on the internet and back and forth. And what's a consensus? Do you, are you uh, seeing anything?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of my guys um, that I served with and met through these nonprofits, Profits. Uh, you know, some of them feel like everything was kind of in vain, losing brothers and sisters over there. What was it? What was it all for? If we're pulling out and you know, not look You know, a big point is. What about our allies over there? What about our interpreters that helped us be, you know, get that communication? And that they were very vital to our mission. What about those guys? And I, you know, they put a lot of strain on letting interpreters come into the country. So I think it's a, it's a, that's a very big issue there. Yeah.
0: Well, let's hope that they get out uh, now that the U.S. military is controlling the airport. Corporal, thanks very much. We really appreciate it. Best of luck to you. If you ever need anything, please contact me directly. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. All right. Okay. uh, On other news, I'm just going to go through it rapidly. Obviously, uh, Afghanistan is the big story, not only because of that country, but because of the president of the United States. And again, I will tell you that I am becoming increasingly worried about the White House. I do not think that Joe Biden is capable of making a decision that is complicated. He's being told what to do by people who don't know what to do. And if you voted for him, You need to rethink that vote. All right, um, so everybody's wondering where the Durham report is. This has been the longest thing, 674 days, 674 days. No, I'm sorry, that was the uh, Mueller investigation, 674 days. The Durham investigation is longer than that, is longer than 674 days. So uh, there was a leak Uh, anonymous. It says that uh, Mr. Durham, the Justice Department counsel, is presenting evidence to a criminal grand jury now. All right. So um, just the highlights real fast. On July 28, 2016, President Obama was told by CIA director John Brennan that the Clinton campaign financed some of the Russian collusion dirt. Okay. Okay. The head of that campaign, John Podesta, denied that in front of Congress. That could be a crime for Podesta. Another guy named Bruce Orr, I'm not going to get into it now, worked in the Justice Department. He's all over this. And then you have the FBI that investigated Russian collusion. I just wanted to bring it to your attention that Durham is presenting evidence according to this report to the grand jury. I've got a qual- uh, column on Andrew and Chris Cuomo on BillOReilly.com. I hope you read said column. This day in history, August 16th, 1958, Madonna was born. Now, why does anybody care? Well, she is the most successful female pop star in history. Total net worth, ready? $850 million. She was born to a working class family in Bay City, Michigan. And she is now worth $850 million. That is what can happen in the United States of America. Madonna has bashed her country in an immature way. I'm not even going to get into it, but I am going to say that if you want to see what capitalism can do, you just look at Madonna. Back in a moment with some mail and a final thought on the Bible
1: Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Okay, let's get into the mail. Douglas Chate, Chicago. I voted for Joe Biden because I considered Donald Trump to be incompetent in managing COVID. Biden has been a poor president thus far. The only thing he has managed effectively is the distribution of the vaccine. Border, inflation, societal cohesion have been dreadful good letter, Douglas. Um, And that's what I'm trying to get with the Biden voters. I mean, this is a disaster. Barbara Williams, Lake Oswego, Oregon. Where are all the Me Too advocates when it comes to treatment of women in Afghanistan? These organizations are political. They're not looking out for women. They're looking out for progressive ideology. Tanya, On the message board, Bill, I completely disagree with you that Andrew Cuomo cannot be prosecuted for nursing home policy because he had no criminal intent. Have you ever heard of criminal negligence? Yes, I have. But I have never seen a case in this country prosecuted when a policy leads to human beings getting killed. Never happened. And it could. And that's what I'm calling for. Taylor Baxter, Lexington, Kentucky. There are many scientists and doctors who believe the overuse of the COVID vaccines is causing variants. What say you? I say there isn't a shred of information that my staff and I have seen to back that statement up. Now, Taylor, if you have it, if you've seen it, please pass it along. Shelley Luna, Groveton, Texas. I recently read Killing the Mob, found it interesting. I'm curious about the mob and the recent surge in crime in major cities. Organized crime has nothing to do with that. I mean, they do in the sense that they bring narcotics in, but it's street drug gangs and they're disassociated from organized crime. They don't uh, they don't take orders from the mob. That's what's causing the, the violent crime. Uh, Richard Ramsdell, given what Mike Lindell is doing concerning election fraud, do you consider him to be misguided? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't yet seen anything that could be used in court. And if he has it, I'd like to see it. Uh, Georgia Hunt, I started killing the mob on Saturday, finished it last night. My husband and children were gaunt and weak from lack of food and attention. What a book. You got to tell your family to toughen up. If it was only half a day, Georgia, they can miss you for half a day. Okay, uh, I'm going to take another quick break. And I got a little interesting thing on the Bible uh, to tell you about in a final thought. Here is a final thought of the day. So my pal Alexander Green at Oxford wrote a column about how Americans don't read the Bible, don't care about the Bible, and this is causing a lack of discipline in our society. So Green stats out half of Americans cannot name the four Gospels. Half, all right? Most Americans cannot name the first book of the Bible. That would be Genesis. Okay, 40% do not know what Easter commemorates. It's not about the bunny. And the internet is the new Bible. So when I was growing up, America was a religious country. And um, some areas were more religious than others. But in New York, where I grew up in the Northeast, Boston, Philly, there was a big ethnic drive um, toward religion. What that did was it put forth a series of rules, like the Ten Commandments, which are posted in the Supreme Court. There were rules for a civil society. Now, not everybody obeyed the rules, obviously. We're all sinners, and the jails are full of people who won't obey rules, right? But there was an accepted measure of behavior in America back then because people were educated about the Bible, about different religions. So I knew what my religion was all about. I also knew what Judaism was all about. Half the kids in my neighborhood went to Hebrew school, and I knew what Protestantism was. I knew what Episcopalians, and Methodists, and Presbyterians, and Baptists. You know, I had a frame of reference. Now, forget it. Forget it. It's a totally secular society, and you can see the behavior deteriorate personal behavior. Just go on the new Bible, the internet. Just look at the garbage that is on it. It overwhelms the good stuff. And and this is a source of weakness for America. A moral society must have rules. I mean, late term abortion is a savagery. Now, most Americans don't support it, but 30% do. And so does Biden and Pelosi and Andrew Cuomo and powerful people. That's just one example. Legalized drugs, that's insane. The damage that that's going to do because you want to smoke pot or whatever, it's a gateway drug. Ask any drug counselor. Okay, this is gonna weaken our society. We're gonna have no problem with alcohol. Gonna compound it now? You're gonna send a message it's okay to be stoned? I mean, on my beach I had an idiot the other day with big smoking pot. You know, I got kids on that beach. I took care of them. But this is outrageous. So anyway, that's my final thought of the day. I I know it's been a tough show to, you know, for America. I still have hope that we're going to take action and throw these progressives out next year. That's my hope. We'll see you tomorrow.